I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, question. Hello there, I am Vic Cohen, and this is the place where there is no such thing as a question that ever goes too far or is ever off limits. And this is huge for me. This is a really uh, monumental show for me. Um, you know, I from Chicago, I didn't grow up here. So I don't have a lot of friends and family here. Other than I do have an aunt and some cousins who I love dearly who do live in Los Angeles. But when it comes to brothers, I have two younger brothers and uh, my parents and sisters-in-law, I have two of them. And also my nieces and nephews, they're all in Chicago. And I'm a really like serious family guy. And it's hard. It's really hard. And one of my best friends, both actually, both of my best friends are my brothers. And they're never, uh, rarely are they here, rarely. I fortunately have made some great friends here in Los Angeles, but there's nothing like these two guys, my brothers. Now, one of them, uh, Michael, he's in the insurance business. And then the other one, Harlan, um, took more of a, a path a little closer to mine, I suppose. He's a writer. And, um, and his life mission, I believe, at least as an observer, is to help people, particularly younger people on their way to college and their parents as well. And uh, I'm just so excited tonight because Harlan, my speaker, writer, brother, one of my very best friends on planet Earth, is here. He's here tonight. And I want to welcome you, Harlan. Thank you so much for being here. Be here. Yeah. I just, you know, it's uncomfortable because you say all these things about me being your best friend. And I'm not even close in your top 10. You're I a, know. You're a, you're, a, you're a close acquaintance with history. Oh, that that's hurtful. And, you know, when I look at, I was thinking about who are my best friends. I actually did a little, uh, like, I, I, I was thinking through that here in Los Angeles. I've got my therapist. And you pay that person. Well, Yeah. That's okay. Is that well, aren't friend? we always paying people in some way or another? <laughs> well, I, I think if you have to pay someone, that disqualifies. Them no, I disagree. As being a friend. Well, I consider him a good friend. But my when psychiatrist. You stop paying, when you stop paying him, you know what? I think he's this, not going to. I think the phone. he might. I think he might. He doesn't answer the phone now. Uh, but I think that, um, yeah, my therapist, my psychiatrist. <laughs> These are your best friends. Yeah, they are. My gastroenterologist. Uh, I really like my dermatologist. Right. Um, Jeremy, you know, I can, Jerry's me, Jeremy's a bit of a newer friend in the last few years, but Jeremy who runs this place, great guy. I really like him. And, um, and I, you know, but when it comes what to- What about the, uh, your mailman? Not a good friend. Okay. But, you know, I was thinking you're the only guy. There are only, if, like, there's only one other person I can say I've taken a bath with. You know, like a, a really small bath, Jeremy, like not a Jeremy, jacuzzi. Jeremy, you haven't taken a bath with yet. Not yet. I try. He's got a beautiful <laughs> jacuzzi, by the way. I saw that. But it was weird. Did you notice that our mom and dad, like, they would let us take baths? I mean, what were we, like our mid-30s? No, but we were pretty, I mean, I, I remember, I think I had pubic hair. I mean, I think I was that old. <laughs> you know, I don't remember that. And we're eight years different. Right, so, I mean, I did not. 
Do you I don't re- remember you having pubic hair during our baths. Yes, I do. In fact, I remember growing one in the tub with you. That's so disgusting. Harlan I asked me, do I ever edit the shows? That would be a moment I would like to edit. Yeah. Actually, do you, do you remember why we stopped taking baths together? I remember very well. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, of course I know. Yeah, I we don't were, remember the actual moment. But I can I know tell you. I remember the, story. the moment. Yeah, we would play Army. You know, we'd have army men in the tub and it was like we were, it was warfare in there. And Harlan decided to launch a submarine and uh, like torpedo. A, 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 yeah, a torpedo right out of his ass. And when, <laughs> let me tell you, when someone takes a dump in the tub, that's when you run. That was just so natural. Yes. Remember it graphically. Vividly. Really? That's why my therapist is one of my best friends. Yes, totally. Yeah. So look at you now. Look at us now. Here right. I am in Los Angeles. And uh, you travel the country. You're mm-hmm. a New York Times best-selling author. Right. If you didn't remember, I'm reminding you. Yeah. It's, it's what does that mean exactly? Because uh, like I see and hear that a lot. Like, how many books do you have to actually sell? And are you like a millionaire? All these questions. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. How many yes. books do you need to sell to be a New York Times you best-selling know, it, author? It, it really varies. What happened is... Uh, the book became really popular and, and, and people would buy it for two weeks. So uh, for two weeks, really three weeks, like this, you know, right now it's, it's, it's towards the end of May. Let me show everyone the book. This was Harlan's second book. The first book was not what did fine, but this is really... Not a New York Times bestseller. This was a break. No, it was a Omaha uh, Daily News best time. I was like, <laughs> Barely. Here's the book right here. This is really the one that put you on the map yep. as an author. Yeah. So this thing, I'll answer that, that yeah. question. You know, that's a great question because I think people don't know what it takes to be a New York Times bestselling author. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. I'm right. very curious. Right. It sounds impressive. Right. I right. want to know if I should be impressed or should <laughs> I not be? You know, uh, it's, it's an impressive title. It is. And the thing is, I'm a terrible reader. I have a hard time reading. The last book I read is my book. But you're a very good writer. If I want to go for the joke and I go, even a worse writer. <laughs> no. No, I can write, but I really, I really have a hard time reading. Like Why? That's the, I just get distracted. You have ADD? I think I do. I listen you to audio. You should read up about it. Oh, you don't read. <laughs> I listen right. to audio books. Okay. I do. I, and, and, um, and that's where I really get a lot of my great reading in. Seriously, when I'm traveling, I'll listen to, to audio books. But to, to answer the question, there's a formula. And it's a combination of books that are sold through storefronts, through big chains, through independent sellers, through online uh, channels. Okay. So the New York Times com- combines all this. So what's really interesting is a book could sell more and not make the list than another book because of the formula. So what happened is enough of these, these things aligned and it hit the list. But then what's crazy is it hit the list again and then... For the, now they came up with another list. This is great, Vic. The New York Times came up with an education list. Yes. And uh, last year it hit, this, it hit the list in May and June. And I think they were like three months. I mean, it really has been doing well. And, and uh, yeah. So, has I mean, it ever been number one on the New York Times bestseller list? Not, not number one, but it's been in the category. Do you think about that as an author? Like, um, is that something that motivates you? Like, I really want to be the number one on the number one? Uh, you know, on the, on the New York Times bestseller list, or is it really just cool enough to be on it? I am just so shocked and amazed that I'm on it. Right. Seriously, like it's for me. It's the more people I can help, the the higher it's going to go. And I'm on a mission to get this to as many people as possible. So if it rises, I mean, I'm kind of curious to see. It's been really, it's been so really as we speak, it's still uh, selling very well. Incredibly, correct? this book has over has over half a million copies in print. 
They're all sitting in his house. <laughs> <laughs> he bought them all. No, people really, people buy this thing, man. I know, I'm kidding. Okay, this, you know. Hey, easy, I'm kidding, I'm just kidding. This first book- I have uh, to remember. I'm, no, I know, I know. I mean, you're not just my brother. You're, I'm used to you're, just I know kind you're of, very good at what you do. I'm just used to playing the role. See, when we would be in the car, when, when Vic and I would be on road trips, the two of us would just go on road trips together. Uh, we would just go west or east. No, it'd be a family road trip. Um, I would always be the youngest in the car- because he still is the youngest in the car. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I would always take a back seat. I'd always be very quiet, and, and it would always be a lesser role. So it's interesting here because I'm used to just kind of being along for the ride. You're do, you know what? And that's fine because you know what? You're doing great, and I, this is who you are. I don't feel you're any different now than you would be normally, are you? No, but I feel like I should demand more respect. Oh, really? Possibly, well, yeah. do you realize where you're sitting just by being invited into the It's right. a Fair Question studios? Right. But I've always lose. Like, I lose at basketball games with you. I always lose to you. I lose. Well, okay. So, Well, not on purpose. Th but there's always been, no, there's always this thing of I lose. I'm, I'm not as high, or high up. Do you feel there's a competition between it's us? It's not a competition. You're always a, a tier higher. And so how does that relate to this, this interview, would you say? How is it? How is that reflecting here for you? Are, I, I, are you feeling like the brother uh, relationship is absolutely kind of overtaking more? Yeah, than absolutely. Your, your absolutely. on camera. Or I'm the brother. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's just how it is. Well, you know, but that's okay. Is that a problem? Do you find that uncomfortable? Not at all. I find it interesting. Okay. I find it interesting because I do a lot of interviews. Right. And when I do interviews, it's a different dynamic. But to do it with you is, um, I mean, it's fun. I yeah. Like well, good. I want you to feel relaxed, comfortable, and your family. I mean, you know, it's like you really are. Yeah. And I, and as far as respecting you, you have no idea if you don't know how much I respect yeah. you. And uh, the fact that you've committed your life to helping people and being so successful at it on top of that, I don't think there's anything really more you could do that would be impressive. And, uh, you know, I'm blown away by you. No, you're always so supportive. You know, so. Because you talk about people. I talk a lot about people in your corner. You're talking about people who you're, who, your friends. And yes. the people in, a lot of your people in your corner are people you, you pay, which is. Right, we don't need to keep coming back to that. And actually, <laughs> but I, that's, but I think that's an amazing thing because we always, we always need people in our corner. I mean, well, we do. I just went through some of the people, you know, to come out with like names of friends. I didn't want to go through that okay. whole laundry list. I mean, there are some other people. You've always been in my corner. Like my. Like you're always there. Well, I hope so. I and I do think that uh, I mean you've been very expressive in the past about that. So I yeah, mean, and I always appreciate. And I hope that that's the case. Um, you know, it was really interesting. You got married, and how long have you been married now? Do you remember your advice? Is that where you're going with no, this? No, but you can tell me because I told you you're I the was advice getting. Columnist, I told but, you I was getting married. I said I was excited. I was really excited to tell you. You don't remember? You remember this I really call. don't. You remember this? I call. think I, I was a. I was giving you a cautionary tale. I said, from a big Vic, brother. I have to tell you. I'm getting engaged. I'm going to ask Stephanie to marry me. And you said, why? <laughs> fair you go, why? It's a fair question. <laughs> I said, because I really love her and I want, to spend, I want to spend my life with her. And you repeated, why? Right, well, probably I was, I, I'm guessing I was trying to be funny maybe. <laughs> it was, but, you're serious. You were serious well, though but too. But it is a fair question and you still haven't given me an answer. Now, I would say that I, she's a great woman and right. you obviously are thrilled being with her and it's, you made a great choice. I had an answer. What was it? 
I think, I mean, it was good. You made me, you know, if I didn't have an answer, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been good. But because I think as I had been married and, oh, yeah. and you know, and I, and it didn't work out well. I mean, she was a great person, but I just, it wasn't right for me. And, and that's what helped me so, to know. See, I was so, I, cause you have always been the person, I mean, know this, I don't know if you want to go down this yeah, road. Yeah, I'm happy to go down But road. you've always been the person who has tested the waters first and I learned from your there was a lot I have. missteps. Like, for example, me living in Los Angeles, so you realized from seeing me here and also spending a weekend as an intern on Jay Leno, The Tonight Show, that it wasn't for you. But I think that seeing me out here probably helped you also determine that. Yeah. And also, and Harlan, you talk about great friends, but uh, when I was going through my breakup with my wife, I think Harlan uh, definitely decided he wasn't going to live here because he didn't want to be my full-time therapist. Because <laughs> we used to take these walks that would go on forever, and, and he had great patience in listening. And I'll tell you, as I, I think I've told you in the past, when you got engaged, I did feel a loss. Uh, in, but I realized that you know life goes on, but I, right. you, know, you had to take care of your fiancé and, and her attention. And I was a little bit, I had to adjust. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and that's, you know, that's just life. Yeah. And I wouldn't want you not to get married so I could call you up all the time. Right. You know, uh, but at the time I maybe didn't. <laughs> no, I wanted you to, and it's been great. And, you know, you've got three, you know, he's, Harlan's got three kids. He's got a whole great life going. It's just amazing. So the, the book, you know, you really, that kind of morphed from starting at Indiana University as an advice columnist you were writing on the paper. You, this is something you wanted to do. No one came to you. I remember you. anyone saying, Harlan, your assignment is to answer questions here on campus as the in-house advice columnist. Why, how did this come up and why? Where yeah. was, what was the need inside you to be doing this in college? Well, you know, part of it is I'm the youngest and I never had anyone to give advice to. Really, like I always okay. thought, I thought it would be nice to have someone to kind of share that with. And then what happened is I went to college and I was miserable. I mean, I can share a little, I can share a lot. It was the worst. It was horrible. I mean, it was so, it shouldn't have been that way because it's supposed to be so great. And everybody tells everyone how great it's going to be. I don't believe, and not to, to, too much of a sidetrack, but I don't really believe in shoulds because I don't think that for me, they don't really work. And I know what you're saying. But when you're 18. The stereotype When you're is 17, 18. No one tells you that it's going to be a challenge. Right. You spend five years, whatever, four years. People say it's going to be great. The best years of your life. Right. And, you know, you were, you were saying how lucky I am. And Mike, my brother Mike, you know, jealous that he just graduated. Everybody's, I don't remember being jealous. I'll well, it that. seemed like everybody was like, man, you're so lucky. I want to be, you know, this is great. This is, this is you're so, and, and I got there and I was miserable and I didn't, I didn't find my connections. I didn't find my places. I mean, it's a, I, it, it's a funny, there are many so funny he went parts to, to Harlan went to Wisconsin and it, and it just wasn't a great fit for him. And he decided to transfer to Indiana. Right. My, the, the short story is my roommate wasn't my best friend. My girlfriend broke up with me. Her father compared our relationship to a dying puppy. And she shot the puppy, this amazing girlfriend. I didn't get into fraternity. I ended up transferring. All Wisconsin. All Wisconsin, transferred to Indiana. And then um, I ended up being in the same fraternity you guys were in. And, uh, and, and it was hard. It was still hard, but I made it work. And then I got this internship at The Tonight Show. A writer wrote advice, which was really cool. And um, yeah, one, Turn the mic a little closer to you. I think yeah. that I'm missing your audio. Is that better? Yeah, that's good. So the writer, this one writer wrote nice. advice. And then I went back to Indiana University where I had been working at the So you would talk paper. to a, a writer who was a staff writer staff on writer. The Tonight Show who yeah. had shared with you that when he was in college, he, he had his own advice column. Yeah. And, and that was, sparked something in yeah, you. Yeah, he was a great guy. There was this other guy. What who, was his name? 
I can't remember him, but I remember the other guy who was not a nice, a guy. nightmare to me. He was okay. he was the meanest person I've ever met. Um, I, I one day asked him. I said, "Hey, how'd you get to be a writer?" And I'm kind of like a guy who people either like or hate. I well, I don't sometimes. know. I think it's just a bit strong. I think polarizing the at test first might be more. Okay, work. maybe I'm, I'm like a slow burn sometimes. I think. Okay. I don't think hate, but I think like I rub people the wrong way sometimes. Okay. And anyway, uh, he told me. He said. He turned to me and said, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, I will never like you. Like, this is what he said while I'm like in the bagel area with Snapple. Like this was the little what, like- What Snapple, the drink? The drink Snapple. I was, I was in there charge was of refreshments area? that day. <laughs> yeah, I was like okay. the guy who cleaned the, the, okay, the so, kitchen. And he was so, but anyway, I, I later learned, you know, how to deal with that. But that was like real how raw do you, rejection. How, what did you learn? Well, I learned to avoid them. But I also That's learned- That's you learned? <laughs> but I learned, no, I learned that there are going to be people in my life who are never going to like me. And I could either fight that and try to get them to like me, or I could give them permission to feel how they feel and move on. Because at that same place, when I met someone who hated, or at least, I hate's a strong word, who really was, was, was. Who didn't get you. He was, he didn't get me. But this other guy at the same place was, I remember hanging out in his office. He was like at UConn. He wrote an advice column. And I thought that would be such a cool idea. So I went back to Indiana University and I started writing advice. I started writing my own questions because I had so many issues in my own life. And I started to really help myself. That was the, the, the joke. I'd write myself and I'd answer myself. And I helped myself. Then real people started writing. This is why you were writing for these Indiana University papers? Yeah, and there's like the a, IDS. They have called. a circulation of like 25,000. I mean, this is like- Were people the, recognizing you? Yeah, it was like a cult following. It was people knew, help me Harlan. It became this, like, that was a smart ass. That was the name of the company. Help me Harlan, and, yeah. and did you uh, start this, what, your sophomore year or senior? It was my what? senior year. It was the last year, okay. Yeah, because I had that internship, and then I did it my senior year. And and people started writing me. I mean, I was I was a total smart ass. I mean, now I have to be a little more uh, responsible. You're a bit glib, irreverent. Oh, it was awesome. Like, that was fun, because there's nothing at stake. Like, now I have to actually be politically correct, which but is just... Horrible. At 22, though, you became a syndicated advice columnist. You were the youngest advice columnist at the New York Daily News, which yeah. is incredible when you look at a 22-year-old. I mean, at the time, you didn't probably realize how monumental that was. You knew it was big. Yeah. How did that come about? So uh, what happened is I, when I was a senior at Indiana, I decided I wanted to continue writing my advice column. And, you know, I talked to, to dad. You know, I could say dad to you because we share a father. We do. <laughs> and, yeah. and he was, and, and mom as well. Um, but the, both really supportive. They said, listen, if you want to write an advice column, then write an advice column. Like you, if anyone could do it, you can do it, which is just the most amazing thing. Cause I meet so many people who have parents who don't say, if anyone can do it, you can do it. They say, why would you want to do that? And uh, they were encouraging. They were in my corner. So anyway, I now, start- Hold on a second. Let's stop. I want to put a pin in it right there. You actually had a sit down conversation with your parents, my parents and said, mom and dad, I'm now graduate of college and right. my career is going to be an ad, being an advice columnist. We didn't, we were sitting, we were standing around the island picking on food. In the kitchen. In the kitchen, because we okay. don't sit down, we eat and, right. and pick. Right. And, I, and that was actually, actually. What was the food? Do you remember? I, I Not mean, that it matters, but. It's I just that. anything. We just eat anything. Those are the best memories. That's what we right. do. We stand around the island okay. and so we So you pick. come back from college, you didn't have a job, right? No, and I said, I want to be a syndicated advice columnist. This is what I want to do. And they said, you know, if anyone could do it, then, then do it. So how did you end up, uh, were you, work, now at that time, you weren't you supplementing your income by working in uh, our father's yeah. business? So what happened is I graduated. I started to sell my column. I dropped media kits in the mail. I had a teacher who had syndicated a column, a professor, and I got about seven clients. I was sending, and this is before the internet, which is crazy. 
So I was sending these columns, writing them, sending a disc. It would cost me $10 a week to get it to them and they'd pay me $5 a week. And then I would do that for three days a week and the other four days, are, actually three days I worked in the insurance business, the rest of the four days I did my column. And in the I, insurance business, you were working like being an office worker in a yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'd work that three days and the other days I'd build my business. Okay, now one question you didn't answer and I just want to get back to it so yeah. I don't forget, it was, are you a millionaire? I mean, you are a New York Times best-selling, best-selling author that is the highest honor practically any writer could have other than winning like a, you know, a Pulitzer or something. Right. So what does that mean monetarily? You know, it, I'm not a millionaire, but my book sells a lot of copies every year. Like how much do you make a book? You know, it is a fair question. You could ask me anything you want. I mean, you don't have to answer. No, there's but- a very, you know what? I'm not going to tell you exactly, but it, the way it works with books is uh, when you sign a book contract, you get a royalty. And sometimes the royalty can be 5%. Sometimes the royalty can be 10%. So if you look of at a book, book on the shelf, yeah, it could be 10%. It could be 20%. So if you look at a book, sometimes even higher, but if you look at a book and it's 15 bucks, okay. And if someone's making a royalty of, you know, five, 10 or 15%, you do the math. So, so 75 cents someone could be making? Yeah, sometimes less. Wow. Okay. So, I mean. That's really amazing. So, you know, you, you figure anywhere from 75 cents to, to two or $3 a book. I mean, it really varies. It depends on the deal. And I yeah. suppose that the more you sell and the bigger your name is, the better deal you get. And Absolutely. that's probably right. you keep the ne- contracts You keep too, negotiating right? deals. And now there's, and now what's amazing, and this is what I love, because I'm, a, I'm about dreaming big. And I'm, you know, for the people who are listening, this idea of if you want to do something, there used to be these gatekeepers that would either prevent you or help you. But now if you want to do it, like you can do it. You don't even need a publisher. You just need an idea. Then you can put together a book and you can put it on Amazon and you can sell it for 99 cents. You can sell it for $2.00. And you don't have to pay anybody else. And if you have a platform and you have a voice and you have a mission and a passion and people who believe in that passion, share that passion, you can become whatever you want. And that's the beauty of like now, because a lot of times students will come up to me and say they want to, how do you become a writer? And I say, you write, and then you put it out there and you talk about it every day. That, I mean, that's obviously good advice. It right. Makes sense. Mike Royko told me that. I called Mike Royko the famous... Uh, Tribune, Chicago Tribune, dead uh, columnist. I mean, he was alive at the time. But that would be amazing <laughs> if he were. Right, yeah. he died. He did, yeah. He died. Sad. But I called him. And if, you, and, and if you ever want to talk, this is a great tip. If you ever want to talk to really important people then who are have an office job, you call him during lunch because the assistant's gone. Oh, that's smart. So I called during lunch. And what did you ask Mike Royko? So, hi, Mr. Royko. My name's Harlan Kona and I'm a, I'm a new columnist. I'm a big fan of what you do, and I want to know, how did you become syndicated? And he said, I write. I don't handle all that. And I said, well, how do you, what's it, what advice do you have for someone who's new in the business? And he said, write. I would just write, write. I go, thanks, Mr. Royko. <laughs> and that, yeah. was the, that was it. And then he died. <laughs> <laughs> and he died. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, that is the key. A lot of people, uh, yeah. I mean, it seems so obvious, but you're if right. you don't do it, you're not doing it. Right. And... I'm just curious, at 22 years old, what kind of advice do you have? I mean, you, you don't have a PhD. Um, you didn't go to become a therapist. You don't have a master's in some kind of, you know, psychotherapy. Right. So at 22, are you just an old soul? Um, are you using other experts to uh, rely on as well? Or, or are you just, 
Are you going with the gut? What is it? Yes, yeah, so it's a conversation. So I look at it as a conversation. And this is where I really had to ask myself this question because the question you just asked me is the question I never wanted to answer. Because truthfully, it's like, uh, you, you know, you fake it till you make it. You're just a bullshitter. You try to come up with it. But what I do is I have a point of view. But then this is what I also learned is that I don't need to make stuff up because all I need to do is talk to people who know what they're talking about. So I would talk to people. I'd call experts. I'd call leading authorities. And I would talk to, you know, dozens of people, probably hundreds of people, asking them their point of view. And what happened is over the years, I realized that different people had different points of view. And there isn't one answer to one question. There's a lot of different answers to a lot of different questions. And then over the years, as someone, and I've interviewed thousands of students. You know, my Naked Roommate book, I interviewed you know, well over a thousand students, asking them to share tips and stories. I talked to experts, leading authorities, study data. And, you know, just to be real clear for those of, of you who aren't familiar with Harlan's work, um, I, I just, it's really important, I think, that sure. we understand what it is exactly you do. I mean, I, we could go forever, the rest of this interview talking about it, but I mean specifically, can you just in just a, a couple sure. sentences tell us what your life mission is and, you, and what you've been doing with these books primarily? Sure. So I'm a, a syndicated advice columnist. I'm an author and I'm a speaker and I help people to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I do this by sharing books. I do this through live events. I do this through advice. But primarily your audience up My, to now has been primarily uh, college age. Teens, 20-somethings. Um, but then also now I bridge to parents. I also have a book for expectant fathers that goes into people in their 20s. I have a dating book that deals with, you know, issues that, that people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. So really, while I focus on that core area, because I love, I love the idea of college. And that's where I spend so much of my energy because college is the first time in our lives where students who are, you know, fortunate enough to go away to college and experience this, even if they're commuting, it's the first time they have to deal with, those big social issues, like, you know, emotional issues, big life issues. And they're so inexperienced and so afraid of making mistakes. So I love, I love being in their corner and helping them. So since kind of a theme of this, our, our talk here together has been about friendship, it sounds to me that you become uh, the friend, the mentor or the voice of calm and experience to these younger people who are trying to find their way in this huge transition in their life, which is beyond, it really is yep. beyond just going through college. It's a transition into adulthood. Right. So life is, is transition. This is something I, I, I've learned recently from the beginning to the end. We bookend this experience with transition. And in between, there's search where we're looking for What do you things. mean by bookend? Like birth and death? Birth and death, transitions. That's, that's, well, those are the ultimate transitions. Right, but that's, I'm saying that life begins with transition and life ends with transition. Well, and also what's interesting with, with birth and death is that every mini transition is often a birth and a death. Things change. Right. And they, we can't go back because life moves on. Absolutely. And that's where I struggled. And that's why I love helping, especially teens and 20-somethings and parents who are dealing with these issues, deal with these mini transitions. And the first major transition that teenagers deal with, where they're faced with those big life issues, is when they go from high school to college. So your book, The Naked Roommate, uh, the book I read up, uh, I'll hold it up one more time. This right. particular book here talks specifically about prepares students. Yeah, as well as you have a separate book for parents. Yeah, because okay. parents parents are in the corner of their kids. So the naked roommate and 107 other issues. Hold that up. So, so the, you guys the can see right this the, whole, is the other one. So the whole idea of that book is it talks about you know really creating. I mean, 
it's, it's, it's so much more than college. It's about creating the dynamics. It's about people and places. You know, how, where are your people? Who are your places? I'm sorry, who are your people? Where are your places? What do you mean by who are your people? So in every transition, I'm going to give you a, a, this, this stuff. I love sharing this with you because you said this, this question before of, you know, you were in your 20s. How did you figure this out? And, and what I'm going to share with you is a result of spending the last 20 years studying other people's lives. And at the same time, because you've got to keep in mind, like my whole young adult life, has been as an advice columnist. When I was in the New York Daily News, I was looking for a date and I was too embarrassed to put myself in an online dating site with my picture because I thought that would make me lose credibility. So mm. I've like I've been living my entire life all of these experiences. I'm like the the Carrie Bradshaw but who didn't get laid. Okay. You know from like sex- and you still are. <laughs> that's horrible. No, that's all right. A married man, that's, that's you terrible. know what? It's 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 part of. I'm sure you have a wonderful, you know what? It's, marriage. It's, stre- it's very streaky. It's very streaky. But that's what life is. What streaky. marriage? <laughs> no, the TMI. Yeah. <laughs> no, what's streaky? So you 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 go on intimacy streaks. Oh, okay. Right in well, life. Right. I got and in it. marriage. Okay. He, what really? Um, the thing that also um, I'm so curious about uh, there's a, there's often this feeling like you know those who teach can't or I, I don't agree with that philosophy but it's a common statement or the most effed up people in the world are therapists that's one you often hear so what I'm wondering is how effed up are you because and I don't mean I mean that in a loving way in the sense and effed up I don't really like that term what I mean is, what are the personal challenges, the mental anguish that you have suffered through in your life? Because I have a hunch that it, the person who's been the most in need of help has been you. Well, hell yeah. Who I else would I dedicate my life to well, studying people with problems? Well, because but it I, helps me to feel connection. Right. I have okay. no problem saying that. I'm so, there's so many things. You know, I have eating issues. I was a fat I, the word fat, like, is the worst F word. Like, I try not to swear, but at, fat is, to me, the most painful F word. And I was a really overweight kid. What do you kid. mean by that? I mean, it's when I, when I, when I say the word fat, I, I feel intense pain. I feel shame. Uh, I feel uh, unworthiness. Um, because it just reminds me of being a teenager. Because as a teenager, I was really overweight. And when you're overweight... And, uh, and you like people, you're not the one who's always liked. So this idea of like intense rejection is associated with, with that. What do you mean this idea of intense rejection? I don't know Being what fat was when I was fat, and I should say overweight, but for some reason when I say fat, it has such a powerful, it's such a more powerful word. Um, and it, it evokes so much more emotion from me than saying overweight. Overweight's a way Well, your eyes almost are tearing up. Well, because it's so painful. I, it was, it's the most painful part of... of of my experience. What did, were people making fun of you and you know, calling I, you names? Yeah, I mean, my pants were so tight. I had to lay down on the ground and hold my breath. Like they were digging into me. Um, it was just, it was painful. Girls, you know, the girls I liked would call, this girl called me fat. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, food on the weekends, I would use food as my drug. What was going on with you? I didn't feel connection with the people around me. I th- probably- were you anxious? I'm were not you an depressed? athlete. I, you know what? I probably had anxiety. Yeah, I, I get anxious. Um, you know, I was depressed. I were you just, depressed? I mean, you remember being I'm depressed? I'm sure I was. I hated being a teenager. I don't like, the reason I love doing what I do is because I think being a teenager sucks. Like, I think it's really painful if you're alone. For everyone? For most people, it's painful. And if they don't feel it as a teenager, there's proof that later in life, they struggle. Because the, stu- the, 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 the people who aren't the most popular kids as teenagers, 
become the more successful, tolerant, resilient adults. Is there a study that's shown that? Yeah, there is. So I'm eight years older than Harlan, and then we have a middle brother. I'm three years older than Mike's, which makes uh, Mike five years older than you. So uh, when you say teenager, I mean, I remember you being overweight prior to your in preteen years, like 10, 11, 12. Right. But you're not, you're not mentioning that. Is that on purpose or no, that was am I inaccurate in my memory? No, it was, it was, it was for a, a good part. I mean, I would wrestle in the heavyweight division in eighth grade. Um, okay. I had to wrestle Bubba and, and Mr. Thomas. You wrestled the <laughs> Mr. teacher. Mr. Thomas. <laughs> you know you're big when you're wrestling the teacher. <laughs> Did you win? <laughs> I don't know. That was do you remember? I mean, do you remember crying from being overweight? Yeah. I felt awful, dude. I felt miserable. It was a really painful experience. That's why for me, I, I try my hardest not to, you know, I, I still deal with this. You know, I have, so let, let me, let me tell you, because the way that I cope is how I share, is, is what I share with people. And this whole idea before, and, and we can get back to my own pain. I'm fine with that. But this whole idea of how do you face uncomfortable and uh, the way you face uncomfortable, the way you navigate uncomfortable, you know, change is uncomfortable inherently, and we have to accept that. We either fight it or accept it. If you fight it, you run from it, using lots of different ways to run from it. And then the only way to face it is recognizing, I give myself permission to feel it, and then it's people, places, and patience. And it's who are the five people in my corner to help me. And, and you know, I was joking before- Fans. Well, you were saying you're, well, you can use fans, but but you were talking about a therapist, a psychologist, yeah, yeah. and, and I know you didn't want to talk about your friends, but like the power of you sharing that, you know, that's part of it is you have to have your people. And when you're out in LA and you're not around our family and we have a really close family, well, it's going to be hard for you to find people who are going to be in your corner and you've naturally sought out these people. So this idea of who are your people and then where are your places, where do you find connection, community, and for me it was improv when I graduated from college, it was a campus newspaper. It's my family now. So it's, that's part. That's part of what you help it's, it's, younger people. Right. People, uh, places, and patients. Think about right. Whenever you're uncomfortable, instead of fighting, hating, hiding, blaming, people, places, patience, and the, and it's Wait, really you that ran simple. through that a little too fast for me. Instead of what? Instead of fighting it. Instead of drinking. Instead of being involved with unhealthy relationships. Instead of hurting myself. Instead of numbing out. Exactly. Disappearing in right. video games. Absolutely. TV. So that's whatever. running from it. That's that's avoiding uncomfortable. That's not facing the truth. Okay. You okay. stop and you face the truth. But the thing that's so frightening about the truth is when you haven't had experience facing it, which most 18-year-olds haven't had that much experience because parents are insulating them. And there's so many ways to numb ourselves that when they get to that next place in their life and they're in that new, that new you know, they're in, they're in their LA, they're in their other place... Well, they don't have any frame of reference on how to navigate that transition and create the dynamics so that they can be resilient and tolerant and thrive. And that's what you help them. And that's what I do. And, and I'm in their corner. Okay. And, and, I, and what's very interesting also is everything you just mentioned can apply to any transition. Absolutely. If someone's 60 years old and they're moving into a new community, it's all the same. It's still a new part of life so you having the people in your in your corner and, right. and places to go in this new environment and uh you know like so in any part of life you know god forbid someone loses a spouse and they you know that's a transition who are your people in your corner right uh you know you're going to have to develop new people new friends possibly and new places to go so it doesn't really have to be just with college absolutely and that's really been the framework of my advice is right. that for all those changes it gives me something to work from. And, and the thing about what's crazy for me 
yeah. is um, I've never really liked change, like intensely not liked right. it. And um, I definitely deal a lot with anxiety and depression. And it is helpful to have tools because it, change is happening. There's no way to avoid it. Like right. if I sit at home, if I never left my place, change is still happening. So I might think that I somehow are more in control, but I'm not. I'm not controlling right. anything. Now, getting back to you, right. you, um, this, you know, f- we grew up in the same home. Now, when you were a teenager, if you were 13, I was 21. So I was in college. I was, right. you know, so a lot of the, these painful times in your life, you know, I, it would be a huge ego of mine. I, I mean, I'd have a huge ego if I thought me going to college was your big loss. That was, but, you know, that was, you're one of the people and, you know, you were gone. But, um, you know, Harlan and I had a very unique relationship when my mother um, told me and, you know, told us that she was having a child, something in me said, um, if I want to know Harlan as a human being, as an adult, and especially as a child, I'm going to have to be a part of his life. And so I became very uh, responsible, I guess would be one way of putting it, and um, very uh, present in his life. There was a, there was consciousness to tuck him in. I would tuck him in at night and, um, you know, he'd be like, Hey, when are you coming up? And, you know, I'll be there in the, I'd be like, I'm coming at the, com- I'll be there at the commercial. You know, I'd be watching. Senate Three's Live. company. Or, well, so I mean, like, that's what you know, and so, Mash. <laughs> or whatever it was then, or Love Boat. <laughs> Love Boat. But, but, Fantasy um, so I, it almost, I mean, in no way do I ever want to say I was a parent because that would be, you know, my parents are amazing and have done an incredible job being parents. I will say that some of the responsibilities I took felt we're, we're in that realm a little bit of kind of caretaker in a bit, you know, the, that's um, something that I wanted to do and, and has reaped benefits because we are so tight and close, but then eventually I left. I mean, you know, at, uh, if I was eight, so I left at 18, you were about 10. There is a change in your life at that right. point. Right. And we were really close. I put Harlan in our high school variety show my senior year. This is his first time being on stage. He was 10. Yeah. You know, and it was yeah. a really funny that scene. That was amazing. You know, so, and I, uh, you know, Harlan was very involved in my and, life. And let me say, tell you, you know, when I talked about being overweight and I can't even say the F word anymore. So really it's, it's upsetting. But when I, when I talk, when I think about that, you know, who, the, who are the people who loved me the most? Where did I find unconditional love? I didn't make fun of you in your way. No, you always loved me. You always supported me. Um, Vic jokes sometimes that when we would go to Bennigan's and I'd order nachos, like this huge plate of nachos. Well, this is, it's not to be mean. It was just kind of crazy then. You know, and it was really a, the story Harlan will tell you is it's really more of a, a sign of his addiction and to food. Oh, yeah. Than, than anything. That's really all oh, this, but go on. I'd get this gigantic, like the Nacho Supreme. This thing was intense. Yeah, a lot of Supreme. And I everybody know. wanted a little bit of it. That's Every, the best part, right? right? Everyone, when you've got brothers <laughs> and you'd order the wanted, worst food on the menu as far as health goes, and you're like, well, yeah, everyone, get the nachos. So everyone would, would try to like reach in, and I, I came up with this trick that I would spit on it. I would just go, <laughs> so, I would spit on it, and, and no one would, um, and then, then people would get really pissed off. But I was so sick with my food stuff. Like, this is another thing. During lunch, when I, I would stay home sick from school, you'd, like Ferris Bueller goes out and has a day on the town. Right. I order a pizza. But you called in, you were fake sick. 
I was fake right? sick. Well, I was like medium sick, but I would maybe said I had a stomach ache or something, which is so funny because I would get Mario's pizza delivered. I would get delivery pizza, okay? <laughs> or, or I would get a coupon and I'd get two hot dogs and fries. With pizza? It would be like a different day. It'd but be like, like second where, day. where were... Uh, Everyone was gone. Mom? Everyone was gone. She was at work because my parents were building a business. And, um, and I would go into my brother Mike's tip jar because he worked at Baker Square. <laughs> this is so sick. I mean, this is, well, this is my addiction. Well, I would steal money like a drug. I would go and I'd take his quarters and I would right. pay, I'd pay the delivery guy. <laughs> I'd pay the delivery guy in quarters. I mean, I know you're laughing and it <laughs> is a funny story. It's so but, absurd. Well, I don't think it's absurd because, oh, I mean, so I feel ridiculous. really sad for you. It's horrible. I mean, like, I know you're laughing and it's kind of, oh, it is a funny story. Well, that humor covers of, up this horrible pain. But I, I, mean. I don't look at it as really that funny. No. You know, because I think of it's sad. <laughs> you know, I mean, I it's love just you so absurd. I think I like look back and like the absurdity well, and the delivery guy. Like, what's he thinking? Well, he's thinking <laughs> this guy tips well. And All it, quarters. He knows your name and like a low with like a, a must think I'm like a dancer. What do you mean like a, a dancer? Oh, I always thought oh. my joke is that I went. I paid for college as a stripper. I was a stripper, but I would do like motels and I had a change belt. And people right. would pay me in quarters. Because yes. you had so many quarters? Yeah, but that doesn't really work. In that Not really. I was a kid. No, that'd be a weird thing. That would be really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I I hear it in, um, you know, like that's, that just sounds really painful. I just wonder, you know, my whole thing, I was, I have my own addiction, although it really didn't, I don't know if it was really an addiction, but I was like, I'll just say pleasuring myself all the time. Like I could not get, you know, I had a huge porn stash. And I, you know what? I saw it because um, you guys would leave. And I knew where to find it. Okay. And, yeah. you know, like, I mean, I was totally addicted to porn. I didn't yeah. know it really as an addiction because it didn't, you know, it just seemed like, well, that's what guys do. They, right. They, they, you know, masturbate. But God, I mean, like, I was really uh, very uncomfortable also as a child. And, um, and when I say as a child, I mean till this afternoon. <laughs> no, so but I mean, growing right up. the show. You, yeah, up to the minute we started recording. <laughs> and uh, so I would use... Um, porn, you know, like Playboy, right. Penthouse, Hustler. You know, I remember we went to, a, we would go on July 4th to the Foreman's house. And, um, <laughs> like and uh, well, you know, it doesn't matter. It's been a long time. And I would go in the bathroom. It was the ground floor bathroom. And they had, uh, I think it was Club. They had some magazines wow. under the, in the bathroom sink. And, you know, I'd be in there uh, for, I don't know, 40 minutes. I mean, I don't know what other, everyone bought, people knocking on the door. And Uncle Bob, you know, I used to stole every Playboy that guy owned practically. I mean, I would like, well, I, I should be arrested for how much I took from that guy's house. <laughs> you know, we'd go to Cleveland where he lived and I would go in the, I would raid his, his you know, the, the bathroom and put these Playboys in my pants. <laughs> you know, you don't know this. I'm going to reveal something to you that you don't even know. But I was so anxious that um, on our road trips, occasionally I masturbate in the backseat. No. Yeah. Really? I swear to God. Next to me? Yeah. Oh, I was in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, oh. But you have to understand, it wasn't... That is so No, no, awful. no. Wait, let me just finish. Oh. I'm being vulnerable. That's not cool. Come on. You come know on. what? I was, I'm sorry. I'm going back to the seat. Well, no, but listen, it was a big car. It was a Thunderbird. <laughs> <laughs> and and I wasn't the the masturbation wasn't because you were there. I was right, it, it had nothing to do with you or Mike. I was just so anxious and I right. sexualized my anxiety and it's the only way I knew how to relieve that anxiety. What would I be do what was I doing? Sleeping. 
I mean, I don't know what you're doing. I didn't, you weren't part of the was equation. Was it during the license plate game? <laughs> no, no. It was just. BJ. <laughs> the license plate game is we take letters off a passing license plate and then whoever could yell out the celebrity with that initial, right. w- initial if those initials right. would win. But my point being, it's really not about the specifics right. as much as it's that um, whatever you're experiencing, I can't pretend to have also experienced because only you did. Right. But I know that I also use something to numb out with as a child. And um, it is a plain, very painful place to be right. when there's no one there, uh, you know, in, in the offering the kind of help you need. But that's the thing. And two, two things I want to just say, first of all, you, like this is one thing I love about you and this is what gives me the power to be vulnerable is that you are so courageous. I mean, the fact that you, to share this, I mean, I know we joke about it, but I mean, yeah. to share that. And for me, you know, it's the power of you doing that, the power of me doing that, the power of someone else listening because we have the most wonderful, like I love our family. Yeah. I mean, we're, we, we are, we're a great support system. And the thing of when you say is when, when you, you don't have someone and that's that thing, even if you're loved and supported. Yeah. And it's not as if we lived in an unloving environment. No, it was so, uh, so nurturing. And that's the crazy part that we all have this, there, there's all, all of us have this thing that we carry with us. And it, yeah. And also, um, you know, in defense, not that I now feel the need to defend, but I suppose I do because I'm saying it. I think there's a lot more knowledge today around things like obesity or, um, in my case, a guy just jerking off 24-7, maybe not. <laughs> they go, no, oh, there the is more of that because when I talk to roommate, the masturbating roommate is in the naked roommate because there are people who do that. They, they get anxious. You know, there's a generation now, they don't, they don't have to get club yeah, or I penthouse. Know, it's, it's the, uh, you know, porn is as accessible as, as, as you know, water. It's yeah. just you turn the tap on. So there are so many students who are dealing with this yeah. because we don't really know how to deal with anxiety. And, and you know, it goes right. full circle of, you know, the fear is uh, people are going to judge me. The fear is that I'm, I'm not going to be loved and I'm going to be rejected. And that's where I think the power of, of what I do and what you do. And Well, let's, let's get to here you are. Um, you said you've been offering advice for 20-some years. Right. What are you laughing I'm about? I'm laughing at the road trip. I'm trying that to happened more than once. I'm trying to go back to the car rides to Cleveland. Those are like seven eight hour, hours. Eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> I could usually work one out. We're there and back. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't every time. Right. But here's what, here's what I want to ask you. Right, right, right. Let's and we can that. talk after later. You can, sure, yeah, yeah. You can call my therapist or get your own. <laughs> You've never been to a therapist, have you? I have. You have. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's new news to me. I think you you yeah, you yeah, started yeah. talking about, it and then I f- asked to follow up, and you got a little snappy with me, so I right. stopped asking. Right, right. <laughs> you didn't want me asking. No. Okay, no. and there I violated that rule. You know, well, no, you no one's listening. I guess you're feeling right. open tonight. I'm happy to show you. Know, yes, I have. I don't think there's any shame of it. Actually, no, it's, I think so, you it's know, what I realized that I get anxious, and I need pl- I need places, and I need people. And, yeah. uh, you know, my wife can't always be that she's got to, she, she's not a therapist. Her job. Right. And she's not a therapist. Right. It I think the job should... of a therapist is just say, oh, I have a close friend right. or I have a wife, a husband. That's not a therapist. That's just someone you can talk to and that's important, but it's different than a trained mental health right. professional. I think we should be born when we're born. We should be assigned one so we don't ever have to need it. So we always have one because well, I think we always need someone in our corner. I want to, I want you right now yes. to imagine mm-hmm. you have 10 year old Harlan. Ooh. In the room, twelve-year-old, okay. fourteen, Harlan, who's uncomfortable with his feelings, heavy Harlan, heavy Harlan, <laughs> yes. 
And I want you to take what you've learned over these 20-some years, however long you've been doing it, I think it's about 20, you said. Mm-hmm. I want you to give him the advice that you never got. I want you to talk to that, Harlan. I'm curious what you would say to him. You know, I, I don't think I can, right? I, I, can, I can attempt, but you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because when I think about it, I, th- I think I'm still in denial. And this is, this is something I really need to reflect on because I think when you say the advice that I never got and for me to have to, to acknowledge the advice I never got, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's interesting because I've been telling myself, I want to give you something thoughtful. So, so wait, what, what's the finishing sentence? You've, you've been in denial about what? I think the, the exercise of having to tell 10-year-old me to really do it in a genuine way is uh, to get to that headspace is to do it really authentically, to be very authentic is, uh, is I'm in such, I'm in a good place. I'm, I'll, I should do the exercise just cause I need to do it because you asked me to do I'm it. I'm curious, uh, you know, right. Of what I would tell, what I would tell 10 year old. It doesn't have to be perfect. Right. I would, I would tell 10 year old me, uh, what, you know, you, you always told me the best thing and it's something that I keep telling myself and you always told me to be kind to me and to, and to love me, you know, to be kind to yourself. You said to be kind. And I tell you, cause you beat yourself up a lot. Right. I need and, to hear that. And I tell you to be kind to yourself. And that's the advice that you told to me. So I don't feel like I didn't get the advice because for me to say the advice I never got, that's where I had a trip up here is because I've gotten the advice, but the reassurance of, uh, of, of that. What did you need to hear? What do you think you needed to hear at 10 or 12 that might've you know, forget the word about advice or, you know, like what, what if, let's say you have children, let's say, you know. Well, this is what I tell them. So I, I always, this exercise is, is something I tell, I tell them all the time. So the idea of telling me is what I constantly tell them is that being a kid is so temporary and the bullshit you're dealing with and these big feelings and being a kid, like it goes so fast and it's so hard for you to know. And I tell, I tell my son this, I tell my daughter this especially I told my son the other day, I said, listen, you're, you're seven and you only have about two years of really being conscious to the world of like deeper memories, you know, cause you don't really remember a lot of stuff before right. you're four. So in that whole world, two years is essentially a third of his life, almost a quarter of your life. So two years seems to be so much and every day seems to be so long and the pain can be so deep each of these days. And that's really where we lose sight of how quickly it goes and having me tell me that it's, it, it gets so much better. It gets so much better and continue to do the things that you love to do because it gets better and the sky's part and the heaven's seeing and life gets so much better and being a teen is really painful and that's just part of it, but it's a small part of it. And if you can give yourself permission to feel it, then it's going to be okay. Harlan, uh, what impresses me a lot about you, I mean, and there's a lot and I could go on forever. Um, I mean, it, forever exaggeration. I would have to go to the bathroom at some point, yeah, yeah, get sometime. something to eat, right. take some sleep. You know, that makes sleep sense. Well. But you are um, a resilient guy. You know, you have dealt with an incredible amount of no's in your life, a lot of rejection. Uh, you have this ability to 
not if you care, you don't, it doesn't stop you. Right. Uh, I saw it in high school with you. You had a, a teacher that was, from my memory, not very pleasant towards you. And you know what? You just kept moving on. And uh, you, you've, you have an ability through your actions, you've, you've proven through your actions, that regardless of, of what happens in life obstacle-wise, that you're just not going to stop. And, you know, that's, an, that's a real gift. And, um, you know, you're a huge success. And I don't know why you went through those things, obviously, when you were young. Um, who knows? When, I think, but, but I think we all... But don't you think it made you a better who you are today somehow? Mm-hmm. I mean, you learned a lot. Who better to help people and be a friend? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. All those things are so... I don't look back at anything with regret. I look at it as that was the journey. And, and that journey, that journey has made me who I am. And you know, I, I've always lived by this no regret policy, this idea of being very conscious from a younger age that the decisions I make are the decisions that I make based on the information that I have. And I can only make the best decision I have today. And if I look back in three years or four years or in any time in the future, and I look back at a decision, I can't look at it with regret because I'm making it with whatever information I have. You know, and then, and then the other piece is, that idea of like being resilient, the only way that it, that, that happens is because of, of, of a family that's so supportive and so wonderful. Because I remember like Friday night we would drive around and, you know, other people would be at parties and I would be hanging out with, with mom and dad and we'd like drive by Plaza del Prado where like people would hang out and I'd like duck down in the seats because I didn't want anybody to see me. But my family has always been there and you've always been there and Michael's always been there. And that's the difference. That's why, you know, that's why I'm who I am. And when, if we come full circle, I just want to be that person to other people who don't necessarily have that person or need that one more person. How can people find you? So they can find me. They can find me at Your Har- voice totally changed. You suddenly sounded like a car salesman. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we go back to the other voice? <laughs> I like the other voice. The other one just sounded like uh, so Sunday, t- uh, you know, I don't want the used Impala. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so you can find me at harlancone.com. Okay, H A R L A N. I was afraid to spell it because it's like that's what they I'll do. I'll do that. No, I know, but you, it just, it kind of is like. Right, you know. so harlancone.com. H-A-R-L-A-N-C-O-H-E-N. Yeah, that's where you can find all my stuff. And then I'm, I'm really... Can they, people buy books there? Yeah, yeah. You could, you, could, you could find the book titles and you can buy them online or buy what them. What if people like listen to this and they just want to get to know you? I mean, you know, as far as they yeah. have a question about maybe their own college. Cause this, these books, and I don't want to sound like the guy hawking books either or, or hawking like I'm selling, but these are great books. Uh, you know, there's, you have another book um, for, for uh, dads. Yeah. Or expecting a child. All these books are about transition, which is funny. In retrospect, it was yeah. like, you know, so it's a book, Dad's Pregnant too for Expecting Fathers. T-O-O. Right. Okay. And then there's a dating book. Is which there an I'm email really people can... So, so they go to harlancone.com and then, and then it has my social networks. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Snapchat. I'm on uh, Facebook. I've got a great Facebook presence. I do a lot of cool videos on YouTube and harlancone.com is a place to find it. And then the other thing I just wanted to mention is that Naked Roommate College Bootcamp, my Naked Roommate Bootcamp. So basically what I've done is taken all of the information from my Naked Roommate book and I have created an online program where I am in students' corners, I'm in parents' corners, that's Naked Roommate Bootcamp, and I do workshops and uh, provide amazing videos and uh, resources 
because uh, college is, is a huge change in life. It's always changing. And just to, just to be real clear for all of you, uh, Harlan has this online program that's it's for, there's, it's one package, but there's two parts to it. One part is for the child or young adult going to college, and the other separate material is for the parent or close guardian, whoever is right. the adult in that relationship. So you're really getting two for one in a sense. Right. So that's that whole, yeah. my whole Naked Roommate Boot Camp program. But it is it, the tone kind of how we've been doing yeah, this? Do you yeah, feel like it's, that it's, who you are is coming totally, across? Totally, totally. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's just me being me. And one of the things is, you know, people are always writing me, communicating with me, and I'm always reflecting their tone. And I still now talk to experts and I'm always getting the latest information because my thing is I'm the connector. You know, I'm the one who can get you the best information and reassure you based on years of experience and talking to experts and at the end of the day becoming an expert because when you live it and you listen and you experience it, you become one as well. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough, Harlan, uh, for being in my life. You know, forget about the interview for a yeah. moment. You know, you're uh, just uh, an amazing man. Well, you know, you 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 have integrity, you have love in your heart, and, you know, it's obvious that you have a passion to, to help, and, and you do. And, um, you know, I'm really lucky and proud to have you as a brother, a blood relative, so close. And, um, you know, it's, it's just there's going to be more great things to come. You've got a beautiful family, obviously, and a great life. And, you know, from dropping that turd in the toilet to today, I mean, it's quite... <laughs> <laughs> You've made quite a turn. Right. <laughs> Who would have known? Right. And um, you know, I feel the same. I, I don't. I, you're gonna probably end this. You know, quickly. I'm about to end this. Right. I could right tell, now. but but the feelings are mutual, and you know that. And, well, and that I you feel the you. same about yourself. Yeah. About you. <laughs> right. You know that. I know. I right. do know that. You've been. You you continue to be a, a great uh, place of strength for me. And uh, at times in the past, I I think I almost abused it, uh, calling too much. Not not like menacing, but. You know, as I mentioned a little earlier, you know, when you got married, I needed to pull back and, and develop other resources uh, so that you wouldn't feel burdened because you were, you were um, very generous with your time and heart. I want to thank all of you guys. Uh, you're like my family, too, in a different kind of way. And I, you know, so much of what Harlan's talking about is why I do this. It's about connecting. It's about me feeling connected to you because I need it. I need it for myself because some of the things that Harlan talked about, I struggle with too, even today, and not being 10 years old. Uh, so I'd love for you to subscribe to the show and um, share it with your friends if you'd like. And uh, please keep coming back because uh, I, I, I miss you. I want you to come back. I, I love doing this and it's a lot of fun. And uh, it's great to be able to introduce you to my brother Harlan and some of my other friends in my life. All right. See you soon. Thanks. Thanks. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, question.